Hello, uh, welcome to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm Bridget. Um, it's nice to speak to you all again. Oh, it's been a while. Um, on our last podcast, uh, we interviewed Moni Naylor, and I'm here today with Ashan Dizalodi. Hi. Yes. Hello, <laughs> how are you? I'm good. How are you? It's, it's a Monday morning. It's the morning. It's really early. I know, Mondays, eh? Who's yeah, going when we organised this, definitely both of us must have been really optimistic. <laughs> about being like, I'm yeah, so- let's do it Monday morning. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, did you have a nice weekend? Yeah, I did, actually. It was, uh, it was really fun. I bought my parents matching phones, um, oh. as I mean, my siblings did. And it's the first time that either of them have had a brand new mobile. Um, and it made me really sad, but also it was really adorable watching them. Like my dad's near like 70 this year. And he was like meticulously like opening like the plastic saran wrap thing around the box. Yeah. It was just really cute watching him getting really excited about like peeling the sticker off. And I was, oh, oh. yeah. So it was really, it was a nice Sunday. That's it's nice. Really cute. I like yeah. that. And matching ones as well. That's yeah matching different colors exactly the same thing but different colors because it was like i think to be different colors so that they don't actually like mix them up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my mum my mum bless her is putting like a permanent marker of like her initials on the wire and the plug and the headphones so that like they don't mix them up <laughs> and i was like that's right mum <laughs> yeah yeah you claim your stuff you claim it exactly exactly Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, that's a cute present. It was my my mum's birthday on Saturday. I asked my mum what she wanted for her birthday, and she said um, a garlic crusher. Oh, I was like, okay, that's a very specific, but also quite okay. I was like, that's, gar- that's what you want for your birthday. You want a garlic crusher. Like, I'm just going to go to Tesco and get you a garlic crusher. And she was like, well, all right then. What about what about an umbrella? So it's July. I- my mum's like, I want an umbrella. Oh, well, it's, um, uh, we're obviously not here to talk about garlic crushes, so I feel like we could talk about them. Yeah, I've never used one either. I think they're really pointless. Just chop it, mum. Just chop it. But we're not here to talk about garlic crushes. We're here to talk about your new Burning Eye book. Yes. Yes. Redesire. I'm actually stroking the cover right now. Are you all stroking the cover too? We're simultaneously stroking the covers of the books. This is amazing. For our <laughs> listeners that can't see what's happening right now, we're both stroking a copy of Redesire on the camera for each other. Yes. Um, yes. Because it, it, it's the, it is the kind of book that deserves this central rub. It yes. It's a central, essential book, isn't it? Definitely. I think so. I'd like to think so. It's just, it's got the right texture feel-wise. And the designer, bless his soul, has worked really hard, I think, as well on the cover. And I think mm. the texture that he's got complements the texture, the physical texture of the book. Yeah. So you've got like, it feels like it will be really velvety just by licking it. And then you feel it and it's still a bit velvety. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. okay. Going to stroke some stranger's face. The cover of the book is a face for those that can't see. I'm really bad at a podcast, I realise, because I keep referring to things in the physical world that are visual that people can't see. And I'm like, this is what I'm looking at right now, guys. <laughs> well, if you want to know, they'll just have to buy the book. Exactly. So um, exactly. Let, let, maybe let's talk about the cover for a bit then. Like, who designed, yeah. who designed the cover for you? Um, so Anthony Number, who works with Catch22, uh, young guy, really lovely. 
um, we worked through quite a few um, different ideas with it because I had no idea what I wanted <laughs> with the cover. After coming out of a, a bad relationship with an ex publisher, the, the cover was like, it felt like it was quite important, but then felt really, really difficult, like a big decision that I had to make. And I wasn't really sure where to go with it. So he sort of, um, I sent him a couple of blurbs, um, some background about myself and the poetry, and he came back with a few different um, illustrations and drawings. And then we, we came to this. Um, I think one of the mock-ups was the yellow and I was like that's it that's the color of the book it's got to be the mango yellow because obviously like <laughs> what other color could it could it be <laughs> yeah um, you talked a lot about mangoes at your book launch I remember yeah it's um I didn't realize so basically I take the piss out of people that um <laughs> that kind of can only talk about their motherland or homeland um in mangoes as in like it's a diaspora right and that's what we do we kind of we talk about mangoes talk about coconuts and palm trees and monsoons and that's it and that's because of like the way that we've been brought up and how removed we are from our homelands and motherlands and fatherlands um so as a diaspora we cling on to every object that we can to sort of feel familiarity and to, to belong really um so yes yeah, so i sort of take the piss out of it and then realize that as i as i take the piss out of it and i did it ironically it's sort of become unironic now, the amount of times I do talk about mangoes and, and write about them. And pre-COVID, I was writing a play to go alongside this collection um, that was How to Find a Lover Using a Mango, um, which is about an Asian woman, an older Asian, like a Rishta auntie, a relationship uh, lady, who um, uses mangoes to basically set up her clients. So yeah, the theme of mangoes has sort of stayed yeah, I like it. And I really like the postcards that you had made. Yes. There was one particular one that stayed with me, which was... Which one was that? The, the, the one where she's like, tongue in the mango. That is it's such a beautiful image. Mm -hmm. It's really great. And actually, I have a mango that my friend gave me yesterday. So I'm inspired <laughs> to give it a go. Yes, follow the instructions of it and do I it will. properly. Yeah. I had a, a really friend who um who I sent a, a pack of postcards to um and she was talking with her like group of religious friends and she was like where did this come from it it doesn't seem like it's a very you know spiritual thing to be doing it doesn't seem like a very religious thing to be doing um and I turned around and was like well it's just instructions on how to eat a mango if you've read it in a dirty way that's your mind honey not mine <laughs> uh, I mean there is obviously it's it's really you know tongue in mango um tongue-in-cheek the whole way through so yeah I think me and Clive were both really excited about the way in which you brought out Redesire in terms mm -hmm. of having it in different formats and like different ways and the censored version that you did for artists yes. and religious mentors and things like that <laughs> yes surprisingly two, so two people have accidentally bought a censored version and then been like, oh, that's not what I wanted. I wanted the normal version. I was like, oh, so nobody's seriously bought one yet. Oh, okay. um, so if anybody would still like a censored version of the copy, do let me know. Um, and they're all, they're all personally made and censored to your tastes <laughs> or to the taste of the person you want to gift it to um, on demand. Yeah. So why did you, why, why have you decided to, to release or, or do versions of the book like that? Um, for me, the poetry is um, a wider experience than just the written text. I think I'm so used to reading poetry for different audiences in different ways. Um, and a lot of the poetry in here is 
some, some of it's really sexual some of them I wrote so that I could perform in family spaces um some of them I'd never perform or read out because they're not to be read but to be not to be heard but to be read um and so because of that I was like well actually people's experiences of the book can be quite different um and should be quite different it's a personal I hope quite a personal experience with it and, and I'd, I'd like it to be quite a physical experience in that you know you read the book and you sort of take it in rather than it being a digital one um so the postcards that came out were a way for me to talk about some of the the themes of the book in a way that is again you know you read it how you want it's poetry you either read it in a sexual way or you read it in quite a a tame instructional way of how to eat a mango literally and that's fine and both ways are acceptable um, and they're also just quite pretty to look at so even if you don't read the text they're just pretty images and pretty illustrations um done by uh, an illustrator called nori absolutely amazing illustrator and then the censored version was me working out how i would be able to give the book or the collection to um elders in the community to family members to pastors to religious leaders um to people that i want to be able to show my work to because it's part it's part of who i am but i also don't want to completely i don't know what the word is <laughs> i don't want i don't want to be like so in your face sexual either with them not with them anyway so it's like here's a censored version that you can have a look and if you want an actual version you can sort of you know keep the censored version on your bookshelf and keep the uncensored version leave the pillow sort of situation and that's also acceptable yeah 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 that's nice i think i, yeah. I don't i'm not sure any of our other poets have ever taken that approach before yeah there is something to be said about not wanting like poetry can be very powerful but sometimes it can be very sensitive <laughs> you know and I, yeah. I I've you know written things before and then been shocked at the way that people have taken it and I'm like oh wow okay maybe yeah. I uh should have spoken to you about this first or something like that but yeah, I, yeah you know it is um I think it if it's quite a personal and if you're part of a, a close community as well mm. with elders and stuff like that I think yeah it's good to to have that respect yeah and I, I see the sense of poems as also like another another form of poetry mm. so it's also like the you know I really like the idea of taking um, a written poem and then taking a, a black permanent marker line to a couple of words in it because it changes the poem yeah but it also the essence of the poem is still there you've just taken out the stuff and clever-minded people will be, be able to work out what words are missing and um, will be able to create their own poems from what's missing within it so I think the experience you know differs slightly but the essence of the poetry will still remain throughout the collection um they I just, I just really like the idea of when I'm performing, for example, and there's a swear word in a poem, you know, you censor yourself and you're on stage and you change it slightly. Um, and it's that experience that I wanted to then publish as well in sort of a written, a written format. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a um, performance poet generally in Manchester. So you do a lot of stuff. Yeah. There. You live there. Yeah. What's the Manchester scene like in terms of as a performer? I so really weirdly I haven't performed a lot in Manchester over the past couple of years it's been quite like national and international because I'm an oh. international poet now yeah, oh. so. my poetry's been uh, translated in Spanish and in Catalan Catalonian which is really fun in Manchester the scene's quite um used to be quite cliquey um, and was run by a couple of different groups but there's so many different poetry nights that go on in Manchester that it can feel quite difficult to penetrate those scenes um, so unless you're a, a steady performer, um, always it can be really hard. And I've come through performing poetry from performing plays and monologues. Um, 
so I've not really I didn't really build up myself in the poetry slam circuit for example I sort of started doing monologues and then moved to doing poetry and that kind of transitions allowed me to enter into different spaces that perhaps I wouldn't have been able to had I started as a, a performance poet and then continued as a performance poet I think I perform my poetry because it's the main I used to form my poetry because it's the main source of income for my poetry um, and now I perform my poetry because it's a different experience and I really I love the thrill of people like clapping <laughs> when I'm on stage and like cheering I just love it I'm just yeah such an attention seeker um which is what I'm missing right now is that nobody will clap and when you're on zoom everyone mutes themselves so you're like are you laughing at this joke like do you guys mm. get it do I have to exp I don't know I can't tell yeah um, you need the validation don't you I really do. I really Not you I, personally. I wasn't like, you need it. But, you know, <laughs> I think we all need it. Like, I have to line up my cuddly toys now. Yeah. I want, I want a bit, like, a couple of, like, hecklers. I want someone to, like, be like, whoa, in the background. I'd be like, yes. And then, you know, some, like, clicking that's offbeat. I want all of that. I really do. <laughs> and I'm struggling. So I'm like, okay, I can't do this then. I can't do a Zoom launch. Or I can't, you know, I was thinking about it for ages. And I managed to do an Instagram launch, which was actually not bad because you get live comments. Mm. and it feels like people are like there and I'm like oh you can what I'm doing it's great yeah the Instagram launches have been working quite well I think because I've, I've done a lot of zoom events and they're very fiddly mm. you know it takes a lot of brain power to organize that kind of thing whereas with Instagram yeah. you could just log on and then yeah. other people just watch it and it's very yeah. straightforward I think that yeah. works really well um and it's also it's also less um I think as an audience member as well, it's easier to sort of enter and leave a Zoom launch, uh, uh, Instagram launch than it is a Zoom one. Because mm. when you leave a Zoom, it's like, are you sure you want to leave? Yeah, and <laughs> it's like, like yeah. type it all in again and then to like join. It's so annoying. It's so, yeah, it's like you can't just nip out for a cigarette and then come back in. Whereas on Instagram, you can do. Yeah. Um, and you can go on board, I'm going to see what else is on. And then you go, actually, Afshan is way, way cooler. And then you go back and you... You see that yeah. sort of stuff. And that, that's the vibe that I really like of that. Um, being able to dip and out, in and out of stuff. Yeah. Um, same, the same reason that I ended up doing the book launch in a box. Because I was like, I can't, I, I need it to be not physical. I need to, what I'm doing, to, sorry, not digital. I need it to be physical. I need it to be sort of tactile and use your hands and engage with the poetry and with poetry in general in different ways than just listen to me perform yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Back to the, the poetry. You've organised the poems into, into headings. Yes. Um, and I've been rereading it. And I think, I think the way it moves between family and home life mm -hmm. and then back into like this really central poems and then back again is really interesting to show that fluidity of a person, mm -hmm. that of this, the overall identity of the book. And, like, and I really like, it's really nice. Really yeah, like there's... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, this is the validation I need um, in person, clearly. Yeah, I sort of, I love titles. I really like titles. I like wordplay and I like puns and I love titles. And with, when I was writing this collection and putting it together, I sort of wrote them as separate pieces and then kind of put them together as a cohesive narrative. And then was like, oh, here's something that's emerging. Let me then add more poems and make it into a, a thing. Um, and I started to realise that the poetry I had fell into a few different categories and um, you had like the queer poetry which always ended in um, something really lovely and something like happy and there was like you know 
um, you know, flowers emerging from everywhere. And then you had like the, the hetero poetry um, or the quite straight poetry that ended in like death or someone killing somebody else <laughs> yeah. or like disappointment. Um, and I was like, hmm, there's a theme emerging here. Um, and maybe it's indicative of what I believe and maybe not. I don't know. I maybe have just a really good imagination. But then there's another section that is kind of investigating this idea of paternal love and fatherly love and how that gets translated and, and we don't talk about it enough because I think when we talk about desire as a whole we only talk about the the nice things with desire we don't talk about the stuff that we don't like to talk about um as often and I think that it's something that I wanted to really bring a light to was was those sort of relationships that are so on the edge that you don't see them and then when you do see them you're like oh shit there we have it um and you know I, I did philosophy for my undergrad so we had loads of arguments against I remember one of the arguments against homosexuality was oh well what about paedophilia and I was like okay those are two completely different things right here like very very different things but it was just the way that it was brought up was like well if you're okay with like gay sex and you're okay with paedophilia and I'm like no no you just misunderstood the entire and it, you know it was homophobic um philosophy classes that kind of led me to that section but it was that understanding of okay, let's talk about paedophilia then. How do we talk about it in a way? How do, we, how do I write poetry about it? And the publisher that I was with previously didn't like that section, wanted me to take it out. Felt like it didn't go with the rest of the collection, but I felt like it was, it was there. I felt like it was really central to, to everything as a form of desire, as a form of something that I, we don't want to talk about, um, as a form of abuse that takes place. Um, and also as a nod to the young women that are in relationships with older men, um, and the way that those relationships are portrayed and the use of daddy now as a term of like endearment or maybe not endearment as such, but like, you know, like a sexualized endearment uh-huh. uh, and zaddy and, and all of that stuff that is kind of like <laughs> yeah. forming out of online culture, you know, and, and then you're like, you know, and I've, I've had people that um, I've been in, in sort of, you know, situationships with that, um and older men that have kind of been like oh I love you like I love my daughter and I'm like um okay do you need to talk about how you love your daughter because this is slightly uh uneasy and that's yeah so that's what inspired that section yeah um I like we wouldn't have asked you to take that section out I don't think (laughs) because like you say it is really central to that idea and it's like desire as a spectrum and yeah. that's one end of the spectrum that is an uncomfortable end that yeah you're right people don't people don't like to talk about but that kind of abuse happens so often yeah that if if we're not talking about it then it's not being dealt with you know that's it exactly that exactly that and there's so many people so many relationships that i see between um like fathers and daughters that isn't it just it just feels a bit wrong and I'm like I, I want to talk about it and I want to be able to um talk about it in a way that makes sense to them um but that's for example some of the poetry that I wouldn't ever perform yeah but I think I've read out loud a couple of them before um just because they, they feel like I want people to be able to sit with them and there's a lot of um word play there's a lot of um, imagery that is quite difficult to hear um, and often the only way that you can do that is to read it, skip over it, and then come back to it when you're emotionally ready. And I never, I never want to put anyone in a place where I'm having, where they, where they're having to get up and leave physically and make a point of leaving um, because I'm reading something out that is so uncomfortable. Um, particularly as it's such a traumatic thing as well. I don't want people to be able to, I don't want people to have to deal with trauma in that way. 
um, other ways for sure, um, but not <laughs> not in not in um, yeah not in that way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, mate. It's such a great collection. I Thank think, you. and such a well timed for it to come out, even though you know we're in the pandemic and like it's all still going on and everything. I think. It's the perfect time of year for this book. It's getting hot and sticky. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's lots of storms and sunshine, yeah. wet. And I mm -hmm. think this is a perfect companion to, to that. And even the, you know, everything about yeah. the cover, everything, it's just, it's so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But like in a good way, not like in a bad <laughs> way. But in a, I don't know, there's a, where is that line about sap? Oh, um, it might be uh, giving her the green gown, I think. Yes. So this poem, I love the end of this poem. So I'm, I might ask you to read it for us later. But like, there's yeah. so many, the way that you've structured all of the poems in terms of the way that you've indented or separated certain lines or certain phrases and things, it, it brings on a whole new way of reading it. Yeah, I like, I like to hope so. <laughs> I like to hope so. There's, um, there's a poem that um, I always think about in summer and it's by Cheryl Martin in her collection Alaska and I can't remember the title of it but accompanying it is an image of uh, an illustration of what is a vagina and then like a red mark going through it um, and the poem is about sort of sitting in a theatre um, in contact in Manchester in Studio 2 I think it is um, and then getting up and then having sort of like a mark that remains on the on the plastic chair and it's something that like as a fat girl with thighs, like when you sit down during summer, you have this weird, like, is it sweat or is it something else moment that I feel really um, speaks to me. And I, we never, we don't, I don't talk about it publicly enough for it to be like a thing that I'm comfortable enough to talk about. But that poem really helped me to, to work through it. And I think that kind of stickiness and that kind of uncomfortableness, I really like write poetry about because that's where poetry lives it's on the you know the sweat marks on a chair um the, the fluid marks that you leave behind when you get up wow that was really dirty sorry <laughs> for those listening <laughs> this is what you're gonna get if you buy the book guys <laughs> yeah well not every not every poem poetry has to be beautiful you know no or i, I don't know the way you were just describing that then it, it didn't sound disgusting to me yeah you know it's something quite natural but also quite like grim and a bit there is something quite beautiful about that yeah you know it's realistic nice that we yeah exactly exactly yeah. A realistic <laughs> wet spot you know <laughs> obviously <laughs> so in the you talk a lot in the book about um 1.5 yes you talk about so, what does the what does 1.5 mean so it's um, not first generation and not second generation. Um, so I am first generation in that I came to, I wasn't born in this country, but I came here before I was seven. Um, therefore, all of my schooling has been here. So I'm not like fresh in that sense um, or, you know, fresh off the boat. So I'm 1.5. So I'm, I'm not first generation, but I'm also not second generation. And there's a lot of people that fall into that category where you have all the official markings in terms of your paperwork documentation is all fashion is all first generation but your lived experience is second generation um and it's that weird moment in between of like trying to yeah just trying to bridge that gap so 1.5 generation of people that that live that kind of like hybrid life that is um 
on paper first generation but lived experiences you know schooling um language issues with linguistics and clothing is all second generation um so that poem just takes people through and that was written for performance it takes people through the the different points up until 1.5 so we start at um 1.1 and move towards 1.5 yeah there's a part in there that i um i like to sing sorry no let me start that again there's a part in there that i wrote to sing <laughs> i don't right. like to sing <laughs> um and it's, it's just um Nusrat Fadeli Khan's song from Bend It Like Beckham. Um, oh, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't realise it was a thing until a white girl at high school was singing that tune. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's a Bollywood song. And she's like, no, it was in Bend It Like Beckham. And I was like, no, it wasn't. And then I rewatched it. I was like, oh my God, there it is. <laughs> so she was like obsessed with this one Nusrat Fadeli Khan uh, song. But yeah, so it, was, it, it, it felt like it was a, a, like a pivot moment for me where I was like oh my god like Bollywood's in mainstream this is so weird <laughs> I don't know how to do this it's like when you know you, you go to a shop where you, you go to like I don't know Primark and they start playing like metal <laughs> you're like what's going on my worlds are emerging into one <laughs> this is not allowed to happen you're not allowed to listen to punk in public unless it's you know in a dark pub somewhere yeah they definitely played the slip at top shop once <laughs> and I was like no, get up. <laughs> um, yeah. Not the one. No, I'm leaving. I'm out. <laughs> exactly. So I like this book has been a bit of an epic journey to get <laughs> to being published. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, even though there were some like false starts in the beginning when you started mm-hmm. working with us, we were like, great, we're going to do this book for you. Yes. Um, it's going to be great. We're going to release it next year. We we're like, yeah, fantastic. And then mm-hmm. COVID happened, <laughs> pandemic yeah. brewed. We're still in this like weird semi lockdown gray area mm-hmm. where people are going out without masks now. And yeah, yeah, it's all a bit weird. And we were like, yeah, great. So your book's out <laughs> in this weird time after, after spending quite a long time just to get to this point and I yeah. it is um I don't know I don't know if it's bad luck though in the sense that you know doing the physical gig is obviously like a really big part of having a book I think for a lot of poets that we publish mm-hmm. doing the launch is like the big party to celebrate all the work that you've put in and you know yeah. it's all about you and la 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 yeah but I really enjoyed the way that you dealt with that in terms of putting together a launch in a box um, as well as having your censored books and your single books to get as well. And I know we talked a little bit earlier about the, the launch in the box, but can you tell everyone, is it okay to tell everyone what was in yeah. the box now? <laughs> yeah. Well, just, just to go back slightly. So the, the idea, I have this weird idea that the book was cursed um, oh, because yeah. it's gone through like such a massive journey. Um, and um a really visual um, interpretation of that is what I sent um, the cover to Clive to, to print out. I sent him a slightly different version that missed out the black dot. And the black dot next to the lip is um, what you call a galatika. And it's like a black, a black mark that elders will put on you. And it's just eyeliner mark as a, as a way of like scar- marking the beauty so that people don't give it evil eye. And it's this, 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 like, this, it forms from this idea of like the moon having craters, that the moon is beautiful because it has craters. And because it has craters, we cannot 
um, it's not so beautiful that we will then become jealous of it and you know throw a shade and evil eye on it so when I gave the book to Clive I forgot to put the, the Galapica on um, and you know almost like ceremoniously Clive was like I just messaged him was like can you please put the black dot on please anywhere on that side of the face and he was like yeah I can do so it was like really weird to have somebody else put the Galapica put the black dot of, you know mm. to ward off evil eye on the book for me um, and that was really lovely as a way of like uncursing all the crap it's gone through. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I thought about whether or not I really wanted it out in March um, when we went into lockdown and immediately yeah. I was like, it's fine, I'll do a digital book launch because nobody's ever thought of that before. And then we got into like the first week of April and I was like, I'm not doing a digital book launch because I can't, I can't do it. Like I can't do a Zoom event and have like, I was planning this whole like Mashaira, like a poetry, um, evening where people would come in and you know perform poetry on zoom and I thought I was like the first person on the, in the world that had thought of this as an idea um <laughs> I was like nobody's ever gonna think of this just me <laughs> um and then like we were literally like three days into lockdown and I was like oh okay every person has, is doing this now and it got to a point where I wasn't watching I wasn't watching any of it and I'm a poet and I work in the field I work in literature and I was like if I'm not watching this stuff how can I expect other people too mm. um and it was also like the I was on zoom calls from like nine till five every day like performing because you see yourself when you're on video and it just exhausts me and I was like yeah I can't do that to myself and I can't do that to other people so um started early on thinking about this book launch in a box and what it would look like and I knew that it had to in some way kind of like speak to each of the senses so we've got something for you to drink which is like a mango iced tea in there I was going to put an actual mango in but a they're really fucking expensive and b it would have like smashed in the box and ruined the book and I was like I don't want the book to be that mango uh you know <laughs> when it gets you um and then we've got like some sweets in there that are all um sweets that I grew up with tastes and flavors that I grew up with that are also from a couple of different cultures within the book so you've got like the tamarind which is very south indian you've got the mango which is like quite homogeneously south asia and and, and you've got like the barn flavor which is quite pakistani as well so the three sort of like flavors i think they're definitely an acquired taste um for you know some people might not like them and that's okay it's not completely offensive to me um but they are sweets that i grew up with then there's uh, an incense and candle, little mini incense and candle things. You can burn it while you're reading the book or not reading the book or eating the sweets or, you know, having a sip of your mango iced tea. Um, there's the postcards, the, the infamous five postcards on how to eat a mango. So if you do manage to find a mango, you can follow the instructions or you can just uh, stick them on your wall or send out to your friends, write to them in this difficult period of time that we're in then there's some writing creative prompts in there as well uh, there's a personalized letter to everybody that that orders a book launch in a box um, and then there's this origami moving lips that are um a set of lips that i created to that has one of my poems on them and you can see a video um, and it's the only digital side of it you can see a video on how to make the lips um, and you just you fold up this square red piece of paper that has my poetry printed on and it folds hopefully with the writing on the lips itself um, and then there's a template you can download from my website where you can make your own version you can write your own poetry on it and you can print it off and fold your own set of moving lips with your own poem just as a way of really having fun and engaging with it 
um, I think what I was hearing from people, particularly artists, was that they wanted to do something, but they didn't feel, they wanted to do something different to what they'd been doing, like for a career. So if they're poets, they wanted to do something not poetry related. If they were fiction writers, they wanted to do something not fiction related. If they were um, craft makers, they wanted to do something not craft related. And I think that every part of this um, book launch in a box kind of speaks to, mm. to different people. Um, and then you've got the book as well. Within, within the launch box. I think that's everything in there. Yeah. Such a yeah. nice idea. You think you. create an experience yeah. of reading the book. So you like, yeah, you, you really think about everyone's, the senses while reading the book. So stimulate everything at the same time. It's clever. Yeah. But you can also, you can do it all in one go in like 10 minutes, you know, and you can read, I don't think you can read the book in 10 minutes, but. No, you definitely can't. <laughs> But you know, you can you can read the book and um, in one sitting, or you can read it over a period of time. So everything in there, you can kind of like spread out for as long as you want to do. So there's there's nothing about you having to take out two hours of your day to attempt a book launch, or take out forty five minutes of your day to to log into a Zoom or a, or an Insta Live, for example. You can do the launch however you want, whenever you want, with as many people or with yourself. But the idea is to to do it in your way. And there's different suggestions for the ways that I've done them, like the origami or the writing prompts. But really, there's no order to it. There's no demand on the way that you do each bit. You know, if you really want to heat up your mango iced tea, then you go ahead and I wouldn't recommend it. You go and heat it up. You know, you want to put it with ice cubes, you can do that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't add milk to it um, in any form because that's mm. not how it's supposed to be drunk. That's the book launch in a box, which you can yeah. still buy from my website. Um, as well as a censored copy or a, just a normal. We've been doing a couple of other interviews with some people over the last yes. week or so. Yeah. Um, so um, how's, the, how's the book been received so far for you? Has it been quite nice to be able to send out lots of orders to people? Yeah, um, there was this weird moment the first week the book came out, or well, the week before, where my Twitter got um, suspended. Um, yeah. <laughs> from Twitter. It's still not come back, annoyingly. Um, so I had to make a new Twitter, but, and it was, it was weird. So I've not had like a direct, I've not been able to promote the book as much as I wanted to. So I was having to ask people that had given me quotes if they could send out a tweet about the book. And that was really difficult for me because I was like, it's been a really, um, difficult experience with the book itself. And then mm. to then ask people to then promote it. I'm like, you don't have to promote it if you don't want to, but also you wrote a really great quote. So it'd be nice if you could. And the first week the book came out, I had this weird realization. Um, people were sending me messages saying, oh, you know, they'd read the collection and they really enjoyed it. And I was like, what do you mean you read it? Like I hadn't processed that people would be buying the collection and then they'd proceed to read it. I just, it just hadn't, I hadn't married those two thoughts together in my head. So if people were telling me that they read the book and I was like, what? why what's going on i don't understand it's to be read what do you mean um, i'd almost forgotten about that the fact that like i've written poetry in this you know i was so wrapped up in you know moving the poetry away from the publisher to burning eye um and getting um the cover done and then getting like the the layout done and then doing the book launch in a box i forgot that there were, there's actual words in here that i've actually freaking wrote and they're poems um and I was like, oh, yeah, I did write some poetry. <laughs> so that's been really nice. It's been really lovely. Um, the, the response I'm getting is that there's a lot of um, resonance. People are, are sort of reading it and finding their experiences reflected back, which is what I wanted. Um, people are finding uh, some of the stuff uh, alienating, which is, again, 
exactly what I wanted. But there's a, I'm hoping that during the time that we're unable to be physical with each other, there's a part of here that allows you to explore that physical side, either intellectually or through the book launch in a box. And just, you know, go through the themes and the ideas and allow yourself to, to be transported. That's such a wanky poetry thing to say. Allow <laughs> yourself transported to another world. But it does, it does feel like that. You know, you're, you have a way of writing that really takes you into the moment that you're writing about. Thank you. Which is really I don't good. know how I did it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and I think there's something very physical in, in your writing. The way that the words sound on the page and the way that your mind flexes when you read it. Yeah. I think it was the same. Um, I made a decision not to use capital letters. Yeah. Um, aside from a, a few choice words. And that, that was a really natural decision for me. But then I know as people reading it, it was quite a difficult decision because they're not used to reading books particularly non-poets that aren't they don't have capital letters in it's like but you've not capitalized after a full stop and I'm like I know <laughs> what's, the, what's the problem <laughs> but there's that you know I don't like I don't like capital letters I don't like the the hierarchy of letters that then has to exist in a way I really don't like it. just because you're first doesn't mean you have to have a capital letter like no um, and then Urdu doesn't have capitalization so there's um you know when you write a sentence you don't have capital letters in that sense so it's really weird phenomenon to then write with capital letters and I think it 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 reads like prose when I've got capital letters um so there's only a couple of instances where I've used uh, and that's for I think a couple of words if they're like proper nouns but even then for a lot of people's names I haven't used capitalization because in Hindi and Urdu the the names double up as people's as, as definitions so like violet for example is a color but it's also somebody's name um, and if I put it in a capital letter, it would then become a person's name straight up. But when I use lowercase, it is allowed to be somebody's name, but also just allowed to be a colour. And I really liked that playing around with, with people's names. I think it definitely forces you to, well, not, not forces you, but it encourages you to read more closely, which I think sometimes you can, you can read over a poem and then be like, cool, I'm going to read the next one, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. maybe not allow yourself time to take it in. But I found that I was like having to stop and really read what I was reading. And then because mm -hmm. I had spent the first time concentrating on how everything worked in it and then going back and then actually reading it to get yeah. the, the meaning of it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I like that, having to do the work. I'm a Capricorn, so I would say that. <laughs> I'm a Taurus, so I like creating the work. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. There, is, <laughs> there is something, because um, even some of the poetry, that, it's been so long since I wrote them, that even when I go back to reading it, I have to remember what I was saying. And that, and I love it. I love doing that. Cause then I'm like, what was I doing? And I'm like, Oh, that's what I was doing with it. And then when I work out what it was that I was doing, I get really impressed with myself mm. um, as if like, I've just solved this problem that I created to begin with. It's yeah. It's a really, a really odd experience, but I really enjoy, I enjoy working for it a little bit. And I, I like playing with words. I really like challenging readers, which is why some of the stuff can't be performed because mm. it's not, performable in that sense it's, it has to be read um and seen on a page and broken down and reread and repeated and things like that well lastly we're going to ask you about maybe your favorite part of the book which is the glossary <laughs> yes oh my god i love the glossary absolutely fucking love it i so i hate glossaries in general because i just feel like they make me really lazy and also glossaries are always at the back of the book and I'm so I'm too lazy to like flip to the back of the book to ever read a glossary properly if it's like a like a footnote 
on like an not an endnote mm. but a footnote i might read it yeah. but even then like it breaks up the poem or the or the piece or the text of the even the academic reading i don't i rarely read footnotes and i read them all in one go at the end which is not the way you're supposed to read them um and then be like what do you mean what is this talking to or relating to and i have to go back and read the text but um the glossary was my big f you to um the publisher that tried to get me to write an actual glossary and then write context for each poem as if I was writing the GCSE um, like textbook stuff that you do for like Romeo and Juliet where it's like this is what this stanza was about and this is where this came from and oh, yeah. Bollywood song that inspired it and and I just felt like I was doing the work of a reader and it takes away from the poem I don't want that I, I don't want that experience to be taken away I want that aha moment when you work it out for people that do and people that don't work it out they can just read it it's not difficult so yeah I just I had fun with the with the glossary and messed about with it and it was yeah really enjoyed it for those of you listening that don't have the book the glossary in the back of um redesire is not your usual kind of glossary (laughs) (laughs) Uh, for example coconut a fruit should be thrown at traitors Mm -hmm. um exactly my favourite is um, halal, which is anything that's less than 1% haram, and haram, which is anything that's less than 99% halal. Because they're really good definitions, but also mean nothing <laughs> at the same time. So I'm like, yeah, of course. Well, um, would you like to do us a poem from the book? Yes. Do you have any requests? Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of things that you haven't done. What are you in the mood to do on Monday morning? <laughs> oh, God. Let's give her a green gown. I've been watching The L Word. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> so good. we could do that one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that one. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read along with you. <laughs> okay. If anyone's got a book, you can follow the words on the page. It's page 35, giving her a green gown. <laughs> and it goes like this. Giving her a green gown. Ask her how many times she rode the wave. Answer not so often. She finds it rather boring to lie flat, waiting for it to wash over. Others whoop or grunt with effort, but she remains still, with a furrowed brow riding the high as high as it goes. But just like many others, she likes to smoke after, not so healthy anymore. Wetsuits on the ground, a mixture of sweat and other juices all over her body, Naked arms reaching for her pack, moist neck tilted, asking for a light. She cups hands around the end as though the small burning embers will provide her with enough heat to warm her clammy body. She flops down, passes her partner the green gown and has the last bird. They continue smoking until it burns to the filter, their lips. Thank you. Thank you. Clapping. Rapturous (laughs) applause. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh, Afshan, it's been so nice to talk to you today. This morning, Monday morning. <laughs> Monday morning. Monday morning. Um, yeah, so um, if you're listening, you can buy Redesire from our web store or, mm-hmm. and we do recommend that you go direct and buy it from Afshan, which is, yes. uh, your website is afshandl.com. Dot com, yep, forward slash RE Desire. Um, and you can get the book launch in a box. There's only a few left, so get them before they go. And um, you can buy a censored copy of the book and you can buy just a normal boring old copy with my signature in it. Great. And also you can buy some postcards. 
<laughs> oh yeah, do buy the postcards and then send me one. <laughs> do that. Copy out one of the poems on the back and just send it with a postcard to Bridget. Let's do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been so nice to talk to you. Um, and I hope that I get to see you soon. Yes, in person, physically. Yes. Thanks, Afshan. Cheers. <laughs>